Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. And even though it's a Connect Sunday, we're in an impact series in which we're working our way through 1 John. And since we're about halfway through, I thought we would take a couple of minutes right up front to do a little bit of a review. We are going to cover a new section, but a little bit of review just to make sure you're at kind of on track and up to speed, because when John wrote 1 John, he didn't write it intending that we would read it in little bits and pieces. He intended that it would be read straight through. And when we work on it piece by piece, sometimes it's difficult to keep the bigger picture, bigger context in mind. That's one of the reasons we're encouraging you all to read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John a few times during this series so that you're able to put the pieces in the context as we go through. Well, the first question that John answers right at the beginning of the letter is, well, who is Jesus? And in case you haven't noticed, that is like the question of life. That's not the elective course in life. That's the required course in life. And all eternity is based on how we're going to answer the question. Your eternity is based on how you're going to answer the question. And so John begins by talking about Jesus and who he is. Now, if you weren't here those weeks when we work through the, the beginning of the book, you can pick up, you know, go online and find that. But let me just recap very quickly. John says that Jesus is 100% God and he's 100% man. God became a human being in the person of Jesus. Theologically, that's called the incarnation. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. You know, Christmas isn't primarily about Santa and trees and gifts. Christmas is primarily about the amazing reality that God became a human being in the person of Jesus. Well, why did he do that? Well, he did that to be our advocate. Now, we'll come back to that in a couple of weeks. But right in, the, right in the beginning of chapter 2, we're told that Jesus is our advocate. And what's an advocate? You may have needed an attorney now and then, right, who becomes your advocate. If you're a social worker or you needed a social worker at one point or you need one now, they become your advocate. An advocate is someone who stands in your place, who speaks in your place, and amazingly, Jesus, our advocate, died in our place. He's our advocate, right? That means redemption comes through his substitution. That's who Jesus is, and that was his mission. Well, that raises a question, then. Well, so what difference does that make? Like big whoop. That is big whoop, right? If you believe that message and the Holy Spirit invades your life, some changes happen, right? And those changes are what John's writing about in the letter. He mentions three of them over and over and over again. Here's what they are. When the Spirit invades your life and you believe the truth about who Jesus is and what he came to do, you will believe and grow in your unbelief, of, grow in your belief of the truth. Truth primarily about Jesus, who he is and what he did. That truth change is primary to all the others. You'll also be living out the reality of the gospel. You won't just be connecting with God and being impacted by God. You were then sent from God to connect with others and impact their lives, right? We continue that. We are conduits of what God's doing. We live the life and the realities of the gospel. And one key component of that is we will love, not the way other people love us, not the way they want to be loved. We will love the way we have been loved by God. So what difference does it make? We'll believe the truth. 
We'll live out the gospel and we will be loving people the way Jesus loved us. Now, there are a couple of cautions that uh, we need to raise, and you've probably heard me do this before, but we live in a world that's based on merit and earning. And grace is the exact opposite of that. So we need to come back and remind ourselves over and over and over again of how this gospel works. So here is what the gospel is not. The gospel is not believe, believe in Jesus and who he is and what he did, and then obey what he said, live out the realities of the gospel. And if you do those two things, God may rescue you from your predicament. That's not the gospel. And it's not believe who Jesus is and what he did, and then love, try really hard to love. And if you love well, God may save you and rescue. That's not the gospel. Notice our relationship with God, the redemption that we experience, the reality of transformation doesn't come about based on what we do. Here's what the gospel says. We believe Believe who Jesus is and what he did. We throw ourselves on him and his work only. We then experience rescue from our sin. And in light of that, we love and obey. Not to earn something in response to something. It's a consequence of what God has done, not a cause for what God does. We live in a world that mixes up the order. You mix up the order, you lose the gospel. This is a grace deal from beginning to end. Well, this morning we come to the next section, the end of chapter two and the beginning of chapter three. And we're gonna talk about family benefits. Some family benefits, not in your family, there may be benefits that come there too, but we're gonna talk about family benefits, part of God's family. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter two toward the end. And I'm gonna read through a section in chapter three and you can follow along. And in fact, uh, let me uh, just make sure you're going to pay attention. As I'm reading, try to keep count how many family kind of words show up in the verses I'm going to read. You know, words like children, born, father, brother, words like that, right? Any family words that show up, you just kind of count them on your fingers, toes, whatever you got, right? Here we go. Verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he may appear, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 
No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in, in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Did you keep count? You should have come up with a dozen, 12 different times a family kind of word is used. But before we look at the theme of family, let me just kind of fly up to 30,000 feet and let you see what John's doing, right? John, first of all, looks ahead. Did you notice that? And so we read in the, in the first verse that I read, when he comes, right, in the future, when he comes, when he appears, John's looking ahead. Now, why would John start with the second coming? Because later in the section that I read, he talks about Jesus' first coming. Why would he talk about the second coming without talking about the first? Well, if you remember, last week he was talking about the last days. He's talking about the end times. He's talking about Antichrist going out from the community. And so when he's thinking about the future, he says, yeah, but make no mistake. The Antichrist may have gone out. They're against Jesus. They're offering something instead of Jesus. They're saying you need something in addition to Jesus. But make no mistake, Jesus is coming back. He brings the complete victory with him. See how that goes? And so John's thinking about Antichrist going out. He's thinking about the end times, the last days. He said, yeah, but make no mistake, God began this deal and God will end the deal. And he ends it when Christ returns. Now, what does John say in the verses surrounding that when he appears? Well, here's what he says. Jesus' second coming, thinking of his second coming, thinking about Christ's return should motivate us to live today. I find it somewhat sadly ironic that a whole bunch of people in our world, and sad to say, often a whole bunch of people that hang out in church, they love to talk about Christ's second coming, and that's a good thing. But they like to talk about Christ's second coming in very speculative terms. They want to make timetables and draw maps and figure out when and how. The point of telling us what's going to happen is to motivate us to live in the present. In fact, that's how all the prophets from the Old Testament were. They would often tell what's going to happen in the future. But the reason they did that was to motivate people to live wisely in the present. And the whole point is not to speculate on how it's all going to happen. The point is not knowing when Christ returns should motivate us to live wisely and follow Jesus closely in the present. It works like this. Have you ever had someone knock on your front door? Maybe it was in the evening. Very unexpectedly. Suppose you just kind of settled in to watch a few episodes of your favorite Netflix series, or maybe the second half is just ready to begin and your team's winning a little bit. It's not the Eagles. Your team's winning a little bit, or maybe uh, you've had a really long day or a couple long days and you're ready to, you know, kind of turn in early. And just when you're thinking, oh, this is what I'm going to focus on. This is what I'm doing. All of a sudden there's a knock at your door. I hate that. Don't visit me late, right? 
But when you do, what do you do? Well, if the TV's on, the car's in the driveway, they know you're home. You can't pretend, right? Well, that's kind of what John's saying. Since we don't know when Christ is returning, it kind of could be any time. could be today. could be in the next year. could be in the next 10 years. Folks, it could be in the next 100 years or 1,000 years. John wrote it was the last days 2,000 years ago. But not knowing when, not speculating. When the person knocks at your door, when Jesus knocks at your door unexpectedly, will you be prepared? Will you be confident? Will you be ashamed? Will you be discouraged? Well, knowing that will happen should motivate us to live in the present. That's what John's saying. Christ will return. So therefore, live wisely today in light of that. You know, the second coming is um, really a great example of what we sometimes talk about, absolutes, convictions, preferences. It goes like this. It's an absolute, clearly and regularly taught in the Bible, Christ will return. It's not clearly and regularly taught how it's all going to work out, how the timetable works, exactly when that is. You can have a conviction about that, or maybe you prefer something like this or that. Yeah, let's focus on the absolutes and allow the absolute of Christ's return to motivate us to live wisely today. So that's kind of looking ahead to Christ's second coming. But it's almost as if John starts talking about the second coming and then immediately says, oh yeah, but the foundation of the second coming is the first coming. So look ahead to a second coming, be motivated, live wisely. Oh, but let's look back. When Christ appeared, past tense now, right? Look ahead, when Christ appears, look back, he appeared, uh, past tense. That brings us right back to how John began the letter, right? When Christ appeared, he was God, put on human flesh and skin, became a human being, became our advocate, stood in our place, speaks in our place, died in our place. That's the foundation for everything. Let Christ's first coming be the launch pad of how you live and let his second coming be the motivation, the end, the goal in which we live. Let's live in the last days between those two comings the way John is telling us to live. Live wisely, looking forward ahead, being motivated, looking back, giving thanks. Now live lives of gratitude. That's kind of the 30,000 foot view of what's going on. But now let's talk about family benefits. We had 12 different terms, right? 12 terms that um, kind of tell us family, father, child, brother, sister, seed, born, over and over and over again. So here's what I'm going to do in the next few minutes. I'm just going to walk through different um, titles that are used here and kind of play with them a little bit based on what John says or some ideas that you know from the rest of Scripture. Here's the first one. God is our father. God's our father. And you know what? Regardless of what kind of father you had, regardless of what kind of father you are, God is a perfect, loving, caring, gracious father. It's amazing, right? God is our father. Here's how John speaks of it here. See what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Does it just amaze you, if not it needs to, that God is your father. Have you been uh, reading in the papers, online, or watching on TV that um, 
Bill Gates' daughter was just married in New York. You know what? If your last name Gates and you're part of that family, my guess is you're not worried about where your next meal is coming from, right? You're not worried about retirement accounts. You're not, you're not worried about putting money away. I mean, you're kind of secure in that relationship. You're pretty confident, right? How should we live if God is our father, right? He owns everything that exists. He created everything. He spoke and all this stuff came into being. He's our father. Let me uh, tell you about something that happened to me a couple weeks ago. It was early in the morning. And like most mornings, uh, I get up and make coffee, Starbucks French roast in the little Keurig, go into the living room, sit down, turn on the light, and I read, read a few chapters and pray a little bit. But unlike many other mornings, this morning was a little different. I read a few chapters from Isaiah, because that's where I am in the Old Testament. Then I read um, Matthew 7 and Matthew 8. When I'm reading Matthew 7, all of a sudden, I, and again, I've read the Sermon on the Mount. I read that chapter dozens, I don't know, maybe a hundred times. I don't know. But all of a sudden that morning, it was different. And it felt different. Now, here's what I mean. It says, uh, ask, seek, and knock. God is our Father. And then he gives these illustrations. If a son asks for bread... Would an earthly father give him a stone, go out in the yard and find a rock? Heck no. If a son asks for a fish or a child asks for a fish, would the father go out in the, you know, in the weeds and find a snake and bring it in and kind of put it under the lid so when the son lifts it up, it scares him half to death? No, no, bad dads do that, right? Earthly fathers wouldn't even do that stuff. If earthly fathers wouldn't do that to their kids, do you think a perfectly loving heavenly father, the way John describes here, would do that to his kids? And then, for some reason, I kind of reversed it. And here's what I thought. You know, I don't know a lot. God knows a lot more than me. I, don't, I think I know how my life should go, and I, that's how I pray, and that's how you pray too. God calls us to do that. But we don't know all the details, right? And sometimes we pray for things that would actually wreck our lives. I mean, you ever look back and thank God for all the stuff he didn't give you, he asked for? I mean, ruin your life. And here was my thought. If a son asks for a rock to eat, because sons are stupid, right? If a son asks for a rock, well, I really want to eat that rock tonight. Would the father give him a rock? No, the father would give him bread, even though the kid asked for a rock. Suppose the daughter asks for a snake. Maybe she wants to be a snake eater. So I'm, I'm, please, dad, give me a snake. Would the father give her a snake? No, the father would give a fish, even though the kid... And all of a sudden, I just felt like, you know, God's my father. I, I can live with confidence in this world, even though I don't know how life should go, even though I think I do. And I'm not even sure how to pray, but I mean, God does, but... And God's my father. I can just make my request known to him. And somehow he filters them all out to make the prayer request the way they should be and the way they would be if I knew as much as he knew. God's our father. I sure hope uh, every once in a while that thought grips you. None of us are perfect fathers. None of us had perfect fathers. Oh, yeah. 
Through Jesus, you do have a perfect father. He knows all that can be known. And he loves more than we can imagine. He loves you more than you can imagine. You can trust him and follow him. Well, the next word that shows up a couple of times is brother. And um, in this context, let me just say this. Do, do you realize that Jesus is our older brother? Now, I know we, don't, we often don't think in terms like that, right? We say Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Redeemer, Jesus is God, Jesus is Advocate, Jesus is our God, but Jesus is also brother. One of my um, favorite passages from Hebrews, check this out. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters, in the assembly, I will sing, Jesus is our older brother. You know, immediately, whenever I say those words, I went back and read uh, this week, the parable of the prodigal son. There are two sons in the parable. And the really radical, weird thing about the parable is not how either son operates. Both of the, my guess is, you look, you read that parable, you see yourself in both of the sons, don't you? I mean, you're a prodigal who takes off, runs from God and rebels, and you're the older brother. You're pompous and self-righteous, right? When you see other people, you want them to pay the price you had to pay. Both of the sons, we see ourselves clearly. The radical nature of the parable is the crazy father. The derelict son comes and asks for his share of the estate, and the gracious, loving father gives it to him. He goes and squanders it. He comes to his senses. Begins to make his way back home. Practices a little speech, right? Dad, take me back as a servant. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Um, gets back home. Now, remember, as the story goes, the father has already divided his estate. Younger son gets his share. Older son gets his share. Dad doesn't have anything left. So the estate is now divided. The younger son blows his share, which means when the younger son comes home, everything now belongs to the older brother. Now you understand why he's ticked off? Give him the ring. It's the older brother's ring now. Kill the fat cow. It's the older, son, the older brother's fat cow. Dad, you're giving my stuff away. What does the father say? All that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and welcome this brother back to the family. You know what it means to have Jesus as your older brother? He's nothing like the older brother and the prodigal son. He resembles his father. He willingly gives the ring. He willingly gives the slippers. He willingly gives this, the food for the celebration. Our older brother is loving and gracious, just like the dad. Not self-righteous and pompous like the older brother in the story. Jesus is our brother who pays our way back home. That's interesting, isn't it? Well, that brings us to children, and that's us. Now, so far, the story's been really good, right? We've got a perfectly loving heavenly father. We've got a perfectly righteous and loving older brother. And now we come to children, and we are anything but perfect children, right? I mean, we're more like the younger son in the parable. We're rebellious. We're taking off. We're running. But we've got a loving, gracious heavenly father and a self-sacrificing older brother who pays our way home. Now, there's kind of an interesting little problem that appears here. And some of you, if you're reading through 1 John, may have made you a little nervous. Here's how the question goes. It sure seems like in these verses that um, John's saying, if we're not perfect, that shows we're not Christians. 
No, no, no. You have to, you have to guard your tenses when you read, right? Not, not tense in the art. Tenses, like present. Here's what John's saying. Those who are followers of Jesus, those who have been born by the Spirit, those that have been adopted into the family, are on a trajectory of righteousness. And yes, they will sin, just like it says in 1 John 1, 9, one verse you're memorizing. If we confess our sins, that kind of assumes you're going to sin, right? Good assumption. I'm looking at this group. Pretty good assumption. We're going to sin. If we sin, we've got an advocate with the Father. So it's not sinless perfection. The verb tenses there are per, their presence, right? If you continue, here's a way to look at it. Do you hate it when you sin? Are you embarrassed and disgusted? Are you distraught? Do you confess your sin when you sin? Do you repent of your sin when you sin? They're all signs of being in Christ. They're all signs of being children of God. If you didn't hate it, if you didn't confess it or repent of it, the way we were before we followed Christ, that would be a pretty nasty sign. But if you're disgusted by it, if you repent of it, if you hate it, if you confess it, that's a good sign. That's what it means to be a child. Not perfect, very imperfect, flawed and finite, but loved by a perfect father and a self-sacrificing older brother. Well, now we come to an interesting theme that runs through this whole section, and that is a parentomorphosis. How many of you know what that term is? Raise your hands. If you've ever seen the... Um, is it progressive commercials? You know what it is. Um, here's what parentomorphosis is. Have you ever noticed that as you go through life, you are becoming like your parents? That's pretty scary, right? I think we have a couple little, we got time, a couple little incidents. Uh, let me show you a couple clips from the commercial. Hey everyone, we made it. My job is to help new homeowners who have turned into their parents. I'm having a big lunch and then just a snack for so dinner. we're just... using a speakerphone in this store. Is that a good idea? One of the ways I do that is to get them out of the home. You're looking for a grout brush. This Garth, is... did he ask for your help? No, no, no. We all see it. We all see it. He has blue hair. Okay. Blue. Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto when you bundle with us. Keep it coming. You don't know. We're at the movies and we need to silence our phone. Who knows where that button is? I don't have silent. Everyone does right up here. It happens to all of us. We buy a new home and we turn into our parents. What I do is help new homeowners overcome this. Was that an adjustable spanner? Good choice, Steve. Okay, don't forget, you're not assisting him. You hired him. You have nowhere to sit. You have too many. Who else reads books about submarines? My dad. Yeah. Oh, those are... Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto when you bundle with us. Look at that. It's a sad reality of life that we're becoming like our parents. Whenever one of those commercials are on, Kim will say, you're just like that. They remind me of you, right? Too many pillows on the sofa. I'm buying the same shirt that I've already got on and on. That's a terrible, nasty thing in life, becoming like your, but it's a beautiful thing when it comes to having God as your father. And what John's saying is, as you live with Christ as your savior and the Holy Spirit has invaded your life and God is your father and those realities are true in your life and you're thinking about them, we become like our father. And that's a great thing. Parentomorphosis may not be a good deal if you're selling insurance, but it's a great deal when it comes to the gospel and becoming like God in this world.
connecting with God and being impacted by him and then being sent to connect with others and impact. That's the story of becoming like our father, parentamorphosis. Well, we got one more. We started with the second coming and we talked about that should motivate us. Well, the second coming is all about reunion, all about a family reunion, right? All those family terms, a dozen family terms in just a few verses, the family reunion when Christ returns. Now, I have a, a confession to make. My family's never had a family reunion, and for that, I am thankful. <laughs> when I hear stories about some of the family reunion, I mean, some, I mean, maybe you're in a family like that, and that, that's good for you. Some families have presidents. They have bookkeepers, secretaries, accountants, keeping traders, dues that's got to be. We didn't, we didn't do any of that. Most of my family never wanted to get together. But the message of the Bible is uh, there will be a family reunion. And we will face to face see Jesus, our older brother. And the Holy Spirit will bring to fruition the work he started in our hearts. And God the Father will welcome us to the new heavens and the new earth, our eternal home forever and ever. Yeah, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I understand life here is all about loss and separation. Let me mention just a, a few prayer requests that were mentioned either at elders, staff meetings, in casual conversations from this past week. A woman from our congregation has been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer, inoperable. Cancer's returned, surgery scheduled. Someone's experienced the stroke. They have two young kids, only in their 40s. Anxiety and fear paralyzing people so that a couple can't leave their house. Family was called to uh, remove a loved one from life support toward the end of the week. I'll tell you, reminders of death and loss and separation are around all of us. But you know what the message of the gospel is? There will be a reunion. And everyone in Christ will one day gather and never experience loss separation, or death again. And it'll be great to see parents that we've lost and family members and friends. It'll be great. But that will all pale in comparison to gaze into the face of our older brother who at his own sacrifice paid our way back into the family to be welcomed home by a father never to leave again and for the Holy Spirit to smile because his job's completed and the already not yet has been swallowed up with complete forever. We've got a father, an older brother. We're imperfect kids. While we're living here, parentamorphosis is a really good deal. Live out that family resemblance. Hey, and in the meantime, when loss and pain seem to weigh in, close your eyes or lift your eyes and say, uh, reunion's coming. And whether your family had family reunions or not, I don't know about that. I do know this, you don't want to miss this one.
Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for these uh, truths that are tucked away in the middle of a letter that was written 2,000 years ago. Lord, it's pretty easy just in reading to see how John's mind and heart were on fire as he thought about it and said, who can imagine that we become children of God? And that is what we are. Lord, I pray that some of that same feeling would uh, guide us today. Not feeling based on emotion, but feeling based on the facts of the gospel and the promises of God. You're our father, Christ, our older brother. We're imperfect kids that confess and repent. And we're in process of becoming like God, our father, waiting for the reunion. Lord, help those thoughts to uh, guide us this week. As we connect with you and are impacted by you. May we take seriously the call to now go connect with others and impact them with this good, no great news. We pray in the name of Jesus, our older brother. Amen.